Yeah, after all those beautiful announcements, the scripture this morning is the Ten Commandments. <laughs> which is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 4, 7 through 9, and 12 through 20. I'm going to compose myself first. <laughs> then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses God's name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of the Lord upon you so that you do not sin. These are our sacred stories. Last Sunday, we added the Lion King to our trove of sacred stories from which to draw inspiration. This Sunday, I want to reference Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. But before I go any further, this is not a movie that I would even jokingly call sacred, even though, and it won't surprise you, that I think the idea of sacredness can be very liberally applied. Still in all, Pirates of the Caribbean, any of them, wouldn't make my list of sacred. Now, in Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, that's the first one in case you're wondering, a young Elizabeth Turner beginning to find her feet in the chaotic pirate world that she has fallen into attempts to appeal to the pirate's code. Having given the pirate Barbosa the coin he wanted, Elizabeth expects to be freed. She shouts, you have to take me back to shore according to the code of the order of the brethren. The pirate Barbosa returns. First, your return to shore was not part of our negotiations nor our agreement, so I must do nothing. Secondly, you must be a pirate for the pirate's code to apply, and you're not. And thirdly, the code is more of what you might call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl, Miss Turner. We're talking about the Ten Commandments this morning. Commandments? Maybe they're more like guidelines than actual rules. Either way, what do we do with them? Is there a space between wanting them posted in public buildings and ignoring them? I think there is. Perhaps it helps to set the scene helps to remember what was happening before Charleston Heston went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. 
the Hebrew people were finally able to escape slavery in Egypt. They've been walking and walking and walking. Along the way, a whole series of remarkable events have taken place, beginning with Pharaoh releasing them, the parting of the Red Sea and that pillar of fire that led them through the night. They've been supplied with manna to eat and miracle water. Their days were full of walking, but no longer full of brick quotas and oppression. God heard their cries and they're free. But how does one live in freedom? How do any of us decide what is good and right and what is out of bounds? <clears throat> they are not yet to the promised land. They're still traveling and there will be much more traveling to come. Who are they as they wander? Who are they now that they are no longer enslaved? In the context of the larger narrative, the giving of the commandments can be understood as providing the people with a sense of purpose and identity. They're not simply a list of rules or guidelines. Rather, they are perhaps better viewed as a means to form and nurture community. Within the frame of the text, which begins with, I am Yahweh, your God, and ends with your neighbor, there are details for living with a commitment to God and compassion for each other. So the Ten Commandments aren't mandates in a vacuum, they're guidelines in response. Guidelines in response to liberation, in response to a history of oppression, in response to living now as free and freeing people. We all live by codes, even if we're not always aware of it. Consider your experiences in other cultures. There are norms, rules, guidelines that are different from the ones that you're accustomed to experiencing. In Tennessee, for example, you're expected to wave in gratitude when someone lets you over in traffic. In New Jersey, the only rule for driving is go. Go as quickly as possible. Waving is neither expected nor appreciated. What guides your decision-making? How do you decide between two competing desires, competing needs? How do you make decisions about your money, your time? What's given your priority? I expect that you have values ideals, guidelines that you've never even considered. In most cases, these guidelines are so ingrained that we don't consciously think about them. I don't know about you, but the codes, guidelines, commandments that were imposed on me in my childhood were not in response to liberation. My obedience was not an outpouring of freedom and gratitude. The rules I was given and expected to follow to the letter were imposed and enforced with fear, and shame, and guilt. I wonder what it would be like to put all that down. What would it be like to live out of freedom and gratitude, to make decisions out of love 
It's been observed by many that the first four commandments are about loving God. The middle commandment is about the Sabbath, and the last five are about how we treat our neighbors. As I mentioned in the Time for Children, Jesus summarized them pretty well when he was asked about the greatest commandment. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God. Keep the Sabbath. Love people. I'm not about to suggest that love is easy, and I wonder if we could focus on the Sabbath for a moment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In Egypt, the people were under constant demand, constant production. Pharaoh demanded more and more production for his empire. There was no rest for the people, only constant toil. Pharaoh was taskmaster and the people were a commodity of production. God is set in contrast to Pharaoh. God is relational. God is concerned not with production and commodities, but with community. First Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann in his book, Sabbath is Resistance, saying no to the culture of now, writes, the divine rest on the seventh day of creation has made clear a, that Yahweh is not a workaholic. B, that Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of creation. And that C, the well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. The well-being of creation does not depend on endless work. Before any of the commandments are given, we're to understand that these guidelines come from the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, God is not the oppressive Pharaoh who wants to exploit the people. We live a moral life. We seek good for others, not out of fear, not in response to a tyrant. No, we seek to live lives of compassion in the context of freedom and justice. The commandments as a whole present an alternative vision to life in Egypt. In Egypt, there was little interest in regeneration and rest. There was no freedom. So this newly freed community needs to now be defined according to God, according to love, not according to the whims of power-hungry human rulers. These commandments, these guidelines, suggest that each person, that the community as a whole, is to love, love God and themselves and each other. We're entering our season of stewardship here at Covenant. We're being invited to consider our priorities. 
I hope that you will consider your financial pledge and also the other ways that you share who you are with us. And I hope you'll do so out of love, out of freedom. This is not about rules. This is about how we live together, how we share what we have and who we are with each other and the larger community and even the world. The commandments give us a guideline for making decisions, making choices and freedom, choices to put love of God and neighbor over production, choices for compassion over consumption. The people of Israel were delivered from Egypt, but they carried the anxiety of Egypt with them as their bodies moved towards Sinai. Egypt was about competition, about pleasing a tyrant, about survival, and little more. Now they can thrive. What guidelines help us thrive? Do the codes we live by inspire our love, our compassion, our justice, our solidarity, rather than our fear, our shame, our guilt, our consumption? In considering what I hope are the guidelines I try to follow, guidelines that help me love and rest and care for myself and my neighbors, I keep coming back to very familiar words, words so familiar they're printed in every worship program. Covenant Church affirms the sanctity, dignity, and equality of human beings and the value of life in the universe. We welcome persons of all racial and ethnic heritages, all sexual orientations, all gender identities, all faith perspectives to our Christian community. We stand for each individual's right to worship God and respond to God's call to ministry in her, or his, or their own understanding of God's all-encompassing love. We value a holistic approach to faith and seek to worship in ways that are intellectually credible, emotionally stimulating, spiritually engaging, and contemporarily relevant. We value music and art and ritual to express what we cannot ever fully say. We value participation so that we might hear many approaches to our shared faith. It's a pretty good guideline. I'm grateful. Grateful for each one of you and grateful for our shared lives. We seek love and peace and compassion together. And we seek these things out of freedom, out of grace, out of hope. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>